This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm delighted you're here. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began podcasting last year in order, in some ways, to extend the walls of my practice to people who might be already interested in therapy, be in therapy, know about psychological issues in today's world, or people who would never darken the door of a therapist who don't really know too much about it, but might be curious about what someone like me might have to say about different problems or concerns that you have, that we all have. So if that's your cup of tea, then I hope you'll keep on listening. Today, we're going to be talking about mindfulness. And mindfulness is something that a lot of people think is sort of a new agey thing, but it's really not. It's got its basis in practices that do go back for centuries, but it's very present-oriented. And it's actually a very, very helpful technique to handle anxiety, depression, and our topic for today on handling shame. You know, I did episode 71 on perfectionism. I called it the disease of perfectionism. And often shame and perfectionism go hand in hand. You're trying to hide your shame by being perfect. And we all know that's impossible, right? So I talk a lot about perfectionism, and we're also going to be talking about perfectly hidden depression a little bit. If you're curious exactly what that is, the first time I talked about it was in episodes three and four, because I'd been told that the average number of podcasts produced for each person who did them was seven. (laughs) So I thought I'd get podcasts in on perfectly hidden depression very early, just in case I was one of those folks. But now we're on episode 91. But basic information about perfectly hidden depression can be found in episodes three and four. Please be kind because I edited those episodes myself. And luckily, I have a wonderful audio engineer now who helps me and does a great job. Also today, we're going to have an offer from audible.com. If you'll notice, I don't really do advertising on my website if you've gone there, and I turned down some other kinds of offers, but Audible came up with something that I think can be helpful for you, the listener, and also helps me give to one of my favorite charities. But then we'll go on to talk about the experience of shame and how being mindful of shame is very different from the experience of shame and how that difference can help. Then our listener email today is actually someone from Australia, It's so much fun having so many of you from other countries. She's been a listener for a while, but she said she hadn't found that gem of advice yet that had helped her really understand what was going on with her. So I thought her email was a great one to share with you just in case there are others of you out there who feel the same way. So welcome to Self Work. Today, we're going to be talking about mindfulness and how it can help shame. There's a lot of talk these days about mindfulness, what exactly it is, how can it help all kinds of issues, especially anxiety. But in this episode, we're going to talk about how mindfulness can help someone catch their perfectionism and manage their shame. So exactly what is mindfulness? 
It's more than awareness. If you're mindful, it can deepen your experience of the present. There's a great book called The Mindful Way Through Depression, Freeing Yourself from Chronic Unhappiness, and it's all about mindfulness. The authors describe this relationship between awareness and mindfulness. So they can say it much more eloquently than I, so here we go. Mindfulness is much more than paying attention more thoroughly. It's paying attention differently, changing how we pay attention. Being mindful means intentionally turning off your autopilot mode in which we all operate so much of the time, and instead tuning into things as they are in the present with full awareness. So here's a little mindfulness exercise. Why don't you try this? You're obviously sitting or standing somewhere listening to this. Maybe you're on your elliptical or your treadmill. So notice for a minute how your body feels. If you're jogging, you can notice what it feels like for your feet to hit the treadmill. Or if you're outside the path, notice what you can hear. Notice if there's a breeze or if the air is still around you. Notice if you can taste anything. Notice if you can smell anything. All of that is being mindful. Now, it's easier in many ways to do this when you're quiet, but actually there are all kinds of walking meditations or walking mindfulness exercises where you just become very aware of your body in the present. And then you can notice what you may be feeling along with that, the emotions that go with that. What that does, that mindfulness, that tuning into yourself helps you stay in the moment you're living right now. You know, anxiety tends to keep you thinking about the future, depression about the past. So the practice of mindfulness accentuates the importance and energy of the now. But you know, it has another vital function. If you simply notice a painful emotion or a thought in the present, but you don't feel it in any way, like, I hate feeling this way, or I want this feeling to go away, that very acceptance can disempower it. It's what we think or believe about something that causes us to make a judgment about it, not the actual thing itself. Now, this may seem a little complicated, but it's really not. So let me offer myself as an example, as I often do here on Self Work. Most of you have said that's cool and you like it. You know, I've been very open about having panic disorder. I'm a student of mindfulness myself. It was just a couple of years ago that I finally understood that mindfulness could be very helpful both to me and to my patients. So I've been trying to notice my anxiety, my panic, when it happens in the moment, to stay in the present and to allow my anxiety to be rather than forming a judgment about it or fueling it with fear. If you want to pick up a book about this, it's not about mindfulness, but it's basically describing the same technique. It's a great book called Don't Panic by Reed Wilson. So I'll give you an example of just my everyday life, okay? So my particular panic causes my legs to shake at times. I mean, really shake. So the other day, it was beginning to happen. I had gone to an open house that I was interested in, a new little shop. I don't usually do that kind of thing, but I knew the owner, and so I knew it would be good to go by. And as soon as I walked in this shop, it was tiny, and it was filled with a bunch of people And sure enough, that funny feeling in my legs started to happen. 
So what I did, instead of freaking out or leaving or feeding the panic with the thought, I bet this is going to lead into a big panic attack, I'll be horribly embarrassed, and I'll never want to come in this shop again or something like that, I simply noticed my legs. And I said to myself, hmm, feels like my legs are starting to shake. I didn't heap fear on it. I didn't heap shame on it. And I coupled that with a lot of awareness of talking to people in the room and really trying to engage with what was going on around me. And sure enough, about 15 minutes later, I noticed it was still there just a little bit, but it had not increased. So the more you practice staying in the moment, it's like anything else you practice. It becomes a new pattern, a new behavior, and actually begins to set up its own pattern and then become a ready option for you. So before we get to a discussion about how mindfulness can help with depression or perfectly hidden depression or just perfectionism, I want to talk to you a little bit about the trial from audible.com. They approached me, oh gosh, now six months or so ago and said, we'd like to offer your listeners a free month, a trial offer of a month plus a free book. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash selfwork. That's audibletrial.com slash selfwork. And what I decided to do was offer this to you. And then the monies that I received, because you did that, I'm donating to St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis. It's a cancer research hospital, and it provides not only free treatment, but free accommodations for the family, free food, free meals. Everything is free. And I, about two or three weeks ago, mailed off my first check to St. Jude. So thank you for that. The book I'm recommending today is the one I've already mentioned, The Mindful Way Through Depression, and it's available on audible.com. Of course, you can pick any book you want, but that's the one that maybe would help you learn how to be more mindful. Again, all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash selfwork. You win, and so does St. Jude's. So... Let's now turn to how can mindfulness help me with perfectly hidden depression. Perfectly hidden depression has to do with perfectionism. That's a huge part of the syndrome itself. You're constantly evaluating yourself and not living up to who you believe you could be or should be. Even if you're successful or have accomplished things very difficult to accomplish, you'll focus instead on what could be better. Or perhaps you've had it in your mind to do something, but you put it off because you can't fit it into your overly crowded schedule right now. What do you do if you're perfectionistic? You can push whatever the something is completely or almost completely out of your consciousness, except you know you haven't done it. And rather than admit, you know, sorry, I can't pull that off today, or hey, you know what, I'll get to that next week, but this week's just impossible. Then you turn around and shame yourself for the avoidance. The worst kind of perfectionism, and not all perfectionism is bad if it's just striving for excellence, but it goes way beyond having drive or high expectations. As I've described it to you, I hope you can see that it's a catch-22. You do it, you do something, you do a task, but not perfectly, and there's shame. But then if you don't do it, you put it off and you're perfectionistic, and the bad kind of perfectionistic, shame is waiting for you as well. So whether it comes from internal or from external sources, shame is a feeling that drives so much 
of perfectionism. So how can mindfulness help? Well, shame is a feeling. Just like my legs starting to shake that I described a few minutes ago, that's a feeling. That's a feeling of anxiety, but shame is also a feeling. So think of feelings as waves in an ocean. Each feeling, each wave, has a life of its own. It begins far out, deep in the sea itself. Then gradually, as it rolls to shore, you can begin to see its shape, its strength, its power. But when its time is done, when that wave disappears into froth on the beach, it's replaced by the next wave. And all you can feel is the undertow, reflecting that that wave still exists but has gone under the surface once again. And this process goes on and on. Mindfulness is being aware of each moment of that wave's or that emotion's apparent life, riding it until it inevitably comes to an end. So instead of having waves like in an ocean, you have waves of emotion. So what does being mindful of shame mean, and what would that process look like or feel like? If you struggle with perfectly hidden depression, or sometimes just classic depression, the voice of your perfectionism has told you that if you noticed emotional pain, it might never go away, or it would overwhelm you. But if you're mindful of shame, you can discover you have the capability of noting it, but not necessarily connecting with it, and then moving into the next moment. Oh, there's shame. Hmm. You can even feel a little bit of it, but as long as you don't fuel it, and hate it, or wallow in it, and just allow it to go away, to fade, it doesn't have the power it does. You just notice its presence. If you don't hate the shame, or avoid the shame, or wallow in the shame, but simply notice its presence, you can learn that you can cope with it, and then let it go. Shame is just like any emotion, or thought. It only has power if you give it power. And it's quite an experience. You ought to try it out. You could try it out with any emotion that's painful to you, like anger or fear. You can simply notice its presence and then let go of it. As long as you don't, what I call, fuel it. It's quite an experience. It can free you to be in the moment you're living, not worried about what's coming next, or grieving what happened in the past. It keeps you rooted solidly in the now. The listener email for today is one from a woman in Australia, a larger town in Australia. She goes, thank you for your podcast. I relate a little bit to most of your episodes, but can't seem to take away that gem I need to get me out of my rut, and I thought I'd write you and ask for help. I'm 32, and I moved back to the city where I am after living in several different cities in Australia and overseas and traveling through Europe. I've always been pretty adaptable and good at making friends, not with everyone, not even close, but I've made close friends. Yet since I've been back, I have an overwhelming sense of loneliness. I live alone and don't have a partner. I have wonderful friends, but they all have children and amazing partners, and I feel like they're doing me a favor to hang out with me, which makes me feel even more lonely. I have no energy. 
I come home from a job that I enjoy, but it's not social at all. I overeat all the time and crave junk food. I join a gym and pay for a personal trainer every week, but slowly find reasons not to go. I used to care a great deal about my appearance, and now sometimes I can't even bring myself to brush my teeth. Because who would care? I have tears in my eyes because I know how pathetic this sounds. I feel like I have nothing in common with the person I once was. I've tried to date, but hate the process of online dating and can't bring myself to meet someone face-to-face and see the disappointment in their eyes. Five years ago, I would describe myself as funny, adventurous, generous, and social. Today, I would say I'm so far away from being any of those things. How do I find myself again? How do I start to care about myself again? Maybe many of you feel this way. It's a very sad, poignant, and lonely place to be. First and foremost, I need to say to this listener, you must rule out medical issues first before we assume there's a psychological reason for these symptoms. Anything from mononucleosis to some kind of endocrine problem, all of that kind of thing needs to be ruled out. So first and foremost, run by your family physician and make sure that you're okay and stable medically. But then, if so, these sound like classic signs of depression. Not enjoying things you used to enjoy, feeling not valuable, having a lack of energy, weight gain, depressed mood, actually even a tendency for distorted thinking about your friends not enjoying being with you or they're doing you a favor. It sounds as if you're a perfect candidate to go into therapy and have some support for where you are in life. You might need medication, you might not. But something's going on that you're carrying around with you. You know, I tell people sometimes that even resilience gets hard to keep on doing. You can bounce back from bad relationships. You can bounce back from losing a job. You can bounce back from all kinds of things. But being resilient, especially being resilient and being alone, can be a very difficult journey. And sometimes depression can creep in without you really noticing it. It's almost as if the lights are going down very, very slowly, so much so that you don't realize that you're squinting to see because it's just become you. Now, let me go back to what I actually said to her, although I wish I'd said all this, so I hope you're listening. I said, it sounds as if you're a perfect candidate to go into therapy and have some support for where you are in life. It sounds as if you're disappointed that you don't have a partner. And when I was your age, I was divorced twice and felt as if I was a total failure in the relationship department. I get it. Therapy can help you figure some of these things out. I'm far from a pill pusher, but you could also talk to your therapist about going on an antidepressant. Sometimes they can act to give you some fresh mental energy with which to address what's going on. If you've been independent and a go-getter, Sometimes it's hard to admit you need help to get out of this rut you're in. So maybe that's your gem, that it's okay for you to give yourself permission to ask for help. Take good care, and thank you so much for being a listener. I appreciate it more than you know. Of course, I only knew the basic facts about her life, and that she certainly had led a very fulfilling and enjoyable life. There may be other things going on with her, physical things, spiritual things. I think this email is important, and I wanted to share it with you because it is hard 
sometimes to call something depression or to call something anxiety. And yet at the same time, that very label can help you understand it, can help you almost normalize what you're feeling because there are plenty of people that also have depression and have talked about it. So it can be important to recognize in yourself, although sometimes difficult. I want to invite all of you, or many of you, or actually be really cool if all of you did it, to email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I love your comments and questions. I really especially like the fact that you tell me where you are and why you listen and what you're listening for, what you'd like to hear about. For example, I got a request for an episode on complex PTSD, which I plan to do. And I would love your suggestions as well. And of course, the ratings and reviews are wonderful. Reviews actually also give me a lot of motivation because I hear what it is specifically that people like or love or don't like. So that's all helpful information for me. I'm on episode 91 and I plan to do 91 more if there are listeners out there who who want to hear it. So let me know what you want or what you need. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. And you can subscribe there and get both my weekly blog post as well as my weekly podcast. Nothing else, I promise, just a weekly newsletter. Please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean, wherever it is you listen. That is also very rewarding for me to see that my subscriptions are growing and that people are actually committed to listening in next time. Again, I try to make podcasts very diverse, so if one doesn't fit your bill, then the next one might just be perfect for you. So thank you for being a listener. I hope this episode on mindfulness has helped, and that maybe some of you will hop on over to audible.com and receive the book you'd love to receive. Take very good care. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. Self Work.